Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Green Bike, Salt Lake Barber Company, and HostGator. We're going to be telling you more about them throughout this episode. And I want to personally welcome you out today, give you a big hug. Welcome to episode 406 of I Am Salt Lake Podcast. My name's Chris Hollifield. And my name's Chrissy Hollifield. Was Halloween not the best this year, Chrissy? It was so awesome. You know, I thought trick-or-treating was dead. I lived downtown, I lived in the apartments, never got any trick-or-treaters. You made me move out here to the suburbs, <laughs> out here to family life. I'm kidding, you didn't make me move out here. But out here in the suburbs where all the families are, oh my gosh, trick-or-treating is alive and well. It's so much fun. It's so cool. It's a great way to meet your neighbors. And it was Lucy's first Halloween. So. And she loved it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> hey, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, if this is your first time joining us, first of all, I want to tell you welcome. If you're asking yourself, though, what am I about to listen to? What is this podcast all about? Well, this podcast is all about showcasing awesome people right here in Salt Lake City. We're talking to musicians, authors, business owners, restaurant owners, distilleries, breweries, I think you guys get the idea. We're talking to anyone that might have a cool story to share. We're talking to them right here on this podcast. Hey, who's joining us today on the podcast? Who's joining us on this episode, Chrissy? Today on the podcast, we sit down and talk with local cannabis and hemp lawyer, J.D. Lauritsen. We talk about what got him interested in working in the cannabis industry, what kinds of clients he's helped, his thoughts on legalization, and more. It's a fascinating conversation that we're going to get to in just a minute. Hey, before we get into that conversation, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors. They're actually new here to the podcast in the sponsor world, so make sure to go out and give them some love and support these guys. Support for I Am Salt Lake Podcast is provided by Green Bike, Salt Lake City's nonprofit bike share, connecting employment and residential centers to transit stops and popular entertainment destinations. Green Bike seeks to improve community health, air quality, and increase the use of existing transit infrastructure. Green Bike is a local nonprofit in public private partnership between Salt Lake City, the Utah Transit Authority, Select Health, and other private sponsors. To date, Green Bikers have removed 5.5 million vehicle miles from local roads, prevented nearly 5 million pounds of CO2 from entering our air, all while burning 70 million calories in the process. That's 246,000 slices of pizza. That's a lot of pizza. That is a lot of pizza. Hey, to learn more about Green Bike and find out how you can take as many rides as you want for a year for less than 20 cents a day, follow Green Bike on social media at SLC Bike Share or visit them at greenbikeslc.org. Chrissy, Green Bike, I love these guys. I do too. I love what they're doing for the air in Utah. What a great way to get around Salt Lake City. Hey, support these guys. And many thanks to Green Bike uh, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's jump into this conversation that we had with J.D. Lauritsen when he came over to our podcast studio and we got to talk about being a cannabis and hemp lawyer right here in Utah. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy. Where's home for you, man? Like, did you grow up here? In yeah, Utah? so I grew up in in, in Sandy. Okay. Um, went to uh, went to Skyline High School, and then went to uh, Mesa State College in Grand Junction, Colorado, for college. Played a little college football there. It's now known as Colorado Mesa University. Um, I worked my way back here. Um, worked with my my father's home building company for a little while. Um, and around the time the the bubble burst the first time around, I made the transition back to school. And before I got into law school, I worked at a law firm downtown in their practice support division and then went to law school at the University of Nebraska. And after graduating, came back here, worked for a small law firm um, at that time was known as Robert B. Sykes and Associates. And then was out on my own for a short period of time before I joined Christensen and Jensen in 2016, in February of 2016. So you've been there for a minute. Yeah, I've been there for a few years now, for sure. So growing up, I mean, did you always want to be a lawyer, like as a kid, <laughs> right? Like, you know, as a kid, we want to, we have these you dream You have like a dream, job. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's funny, I when I was when I was coming out here, I was actually thinking about that. I was like, they'll ask me about, yeah. you know, what made me want to be a lawyer. And so 
when I was a kid, the first job I wanted, I wanted to be the the guy on the back of the trash truck that picks up the cans, the can man. Dude, every that was this. that yeah. was the first job I wanted. And then after that, um, you know, professional football player. But once I realized that that wasn't going to be in the cards, lawyer has been the the main profession that I wanted to get into. My my uncle is a, is a lawyer up in 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 Cash Valley um, now now retired. Um, and there's a couple of other lawyers in the in the family, and it's just always something that, uh, that, that interested me. So where did you go to law school then? Uh, the university of Nebraska. I'm a corn husker. And I th- I th- you might've said that. I'm yeah, sorry. If no th- problem. So what, okay. How long is law school? Is that, I mean, that's more than four years, right? Three years. Three, oh, so, yeah, less, three years. so it's yeah. less. Yeah. But you have to, you have to go through four years of school to get into law school, right? Yeah. So, so you, it's an additional three years. Yeah. So you do your mm-hmm. undergrad and then you take the LSAT exam, mm-hmm. um, which, was, I was happy when that was over. I took it twice. Um, my scores were about the same and then got into the, got in, got into the university of Nebraska and didn't really know what to expect going out to Lincoln, but it was an incredible experience. Met some really amazing people. Um, people in the Midwest are just, just good people. Lincoln. I got a lot of relatives from that area. And really? isn't there a t- Adams, Nebraska? Is there some, do you know, is that near Lincoln? That, I'm know? not sure how close that okay. is. The only other, other than driving through Nebraska to, to and from law school, the only other town I spent much time in was in Omaha. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So Omaha, Lincoln, Lincoln and Omaha. Great music out of there too. Yeah, I don't for sure. Know, for sure. That's all the boring stuff. I want That's to the most <laughs> positive stuff I've ever heard about Nebraska in my whole life. Just Except so you guys know. Driving through it, right? Like well, it's never ending Nebraska. Driving through it's the worst. Dude, I want to get right into the good stuff. And I'm sure people are like, oh my gosh, this guy's a cannabis lawyer, right? Like people, I, I threw it out there on Facebook and stuff too. We're going to get into some questions here from a, from a couple listeners. And like when I, I found you on Twitter and I was like, this guy's a cannabis and hemp lawyer here in Utah. What? <laughs> Is, is there enough stuff happening in well, Utah? I'm sure, I'm sure there is, a, right? There, there, there definitely is. And more and more is happening, you know, all the, all the time. And so I have followed cannabis legalization since my time in college. Actually, the first paper I wrote in college for my English class, my freshman English class was about legalizing cannabis and using tax proceeds from it to help, you know, pay down the national debt. Isn't everybody um, in college into that though, right? Isn't that kind of, it kind of worked, exactly right, right? <laughs> exactly, kidding. exactly. And 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 in, in Colorado, of course, you know. Um, and so I've I've followed it since then. Um, I followed legalization in Colorado and across the country. And when I knew that Prop Two was actually going to get on the ballot here, and it was really picking up momentum, that's when I really said, you know what? If this passes, I think this is something I can make part of my law practice. Because I do a lot of my law practice involves compliance, you know, business regulations and things like that. And I said, you know, that will be something that's important, but more importantly is, you know, the, the patients and the rights of folks. And so civil rights is also a part of my practice. So I'm interested in that for the most part, I, I send those folks to the patient advocacy groups. Um, but I really like getting to hear those stories and knowing that those are the people, you know, that hopefully are going to, you know, benefit once all the, all the kinks get out. So when prop two passed, I went to the managing partner at our firm and said, I'm going to start a cannabis practice. And what did they say? Did they say you're nuts? <laughs> they didn't say I was nuts, but they, their look kind of said it all. Um, and I think they were like, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, like go, go They're ahead. All good luck I mean, they that. gave me, they gave me the blessing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for me, as soon as they gave me the blessing, I knew that the first thing I needed to do was to find you know, who the people are, you know, in the industry, within the patient community, within the cannabis community as a whole that, you know, have had carried the water to, to that point. And so I just started attending some, some Utah can networking events. I just started learning out, learning who all the groups were through my Twitter profile, you know, in terms of truce and Utah patients coalition and all these people that I had heard about, I tried to start meeting all of them that I, that I could. And it's just really picked up steam from there. I was a, I was a, I had a booth at the, uh, at the Utah can, um, last May and hopefully we'll have another one this coming April, but it's really something that I took from literally an idea and have now made into a practice with, with several clients, both on the, both on the THC side and the, and the hemp side. Did you have kind of a guideline of what you were going to do? Or, I mean, did you have someone who has done it before that you could learn from, or has this been 
just learning along the way constantly. Yeah, it's really just been kind of learning along the way constantly. We have another lawyer at our firm named Tanner Leonard, and she's known as the liquor lawyer. So if, you know, we have we have two of the vices covered. We just don't have gambling <laughs> in Utah, so we don't have the third the we'll third get there. vice. Yeah. We'll get there. That's right. No, I'm 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 for you what'd you say her name was? Tanner Leonard. I was gonna say I think I'm familiar with her. I yeah, should, so, I should bring her through. So so she she has made almost all of her practice now just just out of that. And so that was somewhat of a template, but I really just started doing the things that I thought you would need to do to, to grow a law practice, you know, networking, going to events, making sure my face was, was known, um, came up with some of my own marketing, you know, developed my, developed my own, my own website and just started meeting people and getting involved and, and paying homage to those that had come before me and, just started handing out business cards and, and, and just meeting as many people as I possibly could. Because for me, it's not about just being a lawyer that services the cannabis community. I actually want to be a part of the cannabis community. My feelings about cannabis are strong and they form the, the backbone of my, of my practice. I don't think that you could practice in that area if you did not believe in it. That's just mm-hmm. my personal belief. I think you have to be, you have to be an advocate, you have to be an advocate and a proponent of it. I just yeah. don't. I just don't think I could be authentically a part of the community if all I wanted to do was just, you know, take someone's retainer payment, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I was curious. I was like, why did this guy decide to do this here in Utah? Not like go to Colorado. Like to me, it would seem like you could be so much busier Like it would be better for you personally to go to a state where it's already legal, right? But for me, I'm born and raised from here. And it's important to me to represent people that are like me, Mm -hmm. you know, and get involved and to help push forward an industry that I never thought would have been possible in, in Utah. And, you know, the efforts that the people, you know, the, the, you know, have been doing up on the Hill for a long time and all the other efforts that all the patient advocates have done, you know, I just, I just, I marvel at it and where it is. And the fact that we actually have ink on paper and we do have a system, although not perfect, I don't think any cannabis, you know, in, you know, any state that is, this legalized cannabis, whether medically or for adult use has a perfect system. And we have some, we have some growing pains that I think we're going to have to go through, but it was important to me to stay true to my roots and help push this industry along here in, in the state of Utah. So yeah, I had thought about, Oh, Hey, I've already got connections in Colorado, or maybe I could go to the Northwest or somewhere like that, where it's already kind of a a built out industry, but I wanted to be part of something new. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of be on the forefront of an industry. And so that's why I jumped in head first with this. And, And like I said, I think there were lawyers at our firm that were skeptical and one, I was just, you know, talking with her the other day and she's like, I just think it's absolutely incredible that, you've been able to literally create something out of out of nothing for yourself but what i realize is just like any other business industry the cannabis industry needs you know needs lawyers needs oh, advocates yeah. needs people that know cannabis law specifically because it's it's it to me it's not something that is yes it involves all the areas of law that we work in but you also have to know the plant and you have to know you know more things about it than just Hey, what does this contract say? Yeah, you know, or something like that. So it was very important to me to stay here in Utah. Now we'll probably mention it again. I feel like we should. Um, there's obviously going to. I want to get into like even some of the the laws here in Utah, but but I you know I don't want to put you on the line because I mean obviously you're a lawyer, but I don't want people to. F- they have to contact their own lawyers. They have to contact their own. Like you, they can't take everything you say, obviously here. Uh, oh, of course. Yeah. None uh, of this, none of this is legal this is advice. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 None of this is legal well, advice. Thoughts, this is all what, just my personal. What do they say? The know, thoughts so. in this episode. Well, are. That's right. That's <laughs> right. I think we should say that at the beginning, Chrissy, yeah. uh, because I, I'm curious, I want to get into, cause I, a lot of people, well, here, let, I want to jump into some of these questions. We'll, we'll kind of jump around here. And, and that's that's the the joys of a podcast. So like I said, we have a Facebook group, mm-hmm. uh, which I urge everybody to join. If you just go to imsaltlake.com slash group, that will forward Absolutely. you to our Facebook group. But there's a couple of questions. Uh, C.D. Reddish, uh, one of our listeners, 
uh, mentioned. He said, uh, if one doesn't have a regular practitioner, where does one go right now to get a prescription or is medical marijuana? I mean, can people legally smoke medical marijuana now here in Utah? What's what's the law? <laughs> well, man? in terms of in terms of smoking, you cannot. Well, I guess you, you can't can, smoke. You can't it. combust it, but you can use a dry flower sure, vaporizer. Sure. But yes, patients can use cannabis in Utah, but you have to get a, a recommendation letter. And I and people have been struggling to, to get that. There actually was an article yesterday in the AP about the struggles that patients are having here to find providers that are willing to write them the the affirmative defense letter Mm -hmm. that they can then use to possess cannabis. What most folks I do believe are doing is they are getting their letters and they are going to legal dispensaries outside the state of Utah. Which is technically illegal. Which is federally illegal. It's it's not illegal under state law, but it's it's still federally illegal as it's a schedule one, you know, substance. And that in and of itself is, is problematic, but that's what most people are doing. Um, and then they are bringing it back here and they are consuming it where a lot of people I think are getting in trouble with the law is they don't have it in the right form under the, under the, the medical cannabis act. There's only certain forms that you can, you can have cannabis in. And so for instance, edibles are a big place that, that that's problematic in other States. They have gummy bears and gummy mm-hmm. worms. And here we only allow <laughs> like rectangular or cuboid shaped gelatinous cubes or something. It's so in, that makes in it jello, right? Like jello, specific. of course, right? Yeah. 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 And then there's only a few other ways you can use it. Of course you can't combust it, um, but you can use a dry flower vape. And so that's where I think the challenges for a lot of people are, is they'll go to another state, get something that works in that state, bring it back to Utah. And then it doesn't, or um, you have, you know, certain law enforcement agencies or, you know, prosecutors or judges that, that, that don't know, all of the ins and outs of the law and they think the law doesn't start until next year or they don't think the letters work and the letters won't keep you from being arrested. They, they, they will keep you from being prosecuted, but they likely won't keep you from being, they, 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 they don't necessarily keep you from being arrested. Aren't most cops kind of cool though. Nowadays, man, I remember parties like, and I'm talking like 10 years ago, man, cops would come and there would be like a big bong on the table and cops just kind of look the other way. I don't know. And I mean, I get, I, maybe this is bad stuff to bring <laughs> maybe on a this podcast. Isn't advice we should be <laughs> yeah, maybe, people, maybe, I, maybe I should edit all this. No, out. no, no, I don't no, no. Know. But, but I don't it know. is, I mean, but that's an experience but, people but, have. You know, and, and, and yeah, and I mean, and so I think it depends on, man. yes. And I think that's the difficulty is that the education yeah. that is needed around this topic is so immense and I think until that happens, you're going to have these experiences where people are having the run-ins with the law or mm-hmm. judges are saying, no, this doesn't, you know, oh no, that program, the program doesn't start until next year or prosecutors are oh. unwilling to, you know, to, to drop cases. And there are, you know, the, the Utah Patients Coalition and, and the Libertas Institute have, have been helping a number of patients with these, with these legal issues. Um, Steve Burton, who's a criminal defense attorney here in Utah, I know has represented a number of these patients that have been, you know, that have been arrested for, you know, for, for, for possession. And so there's a lot of issues swirling around it. I know that different, you know, different types of information is being passed to different types of law enforcement agencies and I, 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 some, some I think are, are okay to deal with some, some are not. And so there's a million different, a million different stories that, that I've, that I've heard of people's experience. And I think it's going to take some time for people to understand, you know, for people to really get that, yeah, this is now legal and people can, people can use it, but patients are facing, you know, real obstacles and even getting their, their affirmative defense letters. Do you know what's crazy is I remember reading years ago, because I've been following it for a while as well. I mean, I I grew up in California and then here. And so I followed, you know, when California became a medical state and it's just like, wow, this is crazy. But I mean, I remember years ago, I mean, some of the people they would throw in jail, like, Mm -hmm. and you're just like, wow, this person is sick and they're throwing these. And that's what's crazy too, is like some of the articles I'll read in the Tribune and stuff. And I'll be like, man, this, this guy's obviously like not doing well, well there was and, an article where a mom, jail a mom got kicked off of the parent teacher association at her school for because CBD. she took cbd yeah yeah, yeah. like you, you, and that's what? legal yeah and, and that's legal exactly and i think that's where people don't that's the and that's why to me such a big part of this is education so every mm-hmm. chance i get when i talk to people about uh. cannabis 
it's very rarely about like, hey, here's my practice. It's much more about, let's talk about this plant. Let's talk about the history of the plant. Let's talk about the 80 plus years, you know, of, of propaganda that has villainized this plant. Let's talk mm-hmm. about, you know, all those things, because I think people need to really see it for what it, for what it is, you know, and not what it's been, been made out to be. And and you're absolutely right. I mean, that mother did get kicked off the PTA. There's been, I mean, there was that woman that got arrested at Disneyland cause she had CBD. I mean, there's, oh, you know, I mean, people get, people get jammed up all over the place for it. There are, I just think that as it comes into the light, so to speak, there's still so much stigma mm-hmm. that's that's attached to it and so many people that still don't truly understand you know what the potential for cannabis is and for a lot of people you know they say oh well i didn't you know i was i was i was an opponent of cannabis until mm-hmm. i had a family member that got cancer and and it's it's what got them through you know or i had a family member that that was addicted to opioids and and they and they've gotten off of opioids you know through cannabis use and or i've got a member of the family that was in the military and they have extreme ptsd from from combat and now cannabis has helped them to 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 get their life back that's the stories that i hear more often than than not is people have to have kind of almost a personal experience with cannabis before they're willing to say maybe it's not maybe it's not that bad Maybe it's, it's not that it's bad. crazy though. I mean, it's almost 2020 and people still have this like stigma that it's this gateway drug, right? Yeah. Like that it's, and I'm not saying it isn't right. Well, like, I mean, not, the it, it could be, I mean, alcohol here. could be a gateway drug for some people. I mean, yeah. cigarettes could be a gateway drug. That's true. I mean, it's, it's all about it's, the person. Yeah. I mean, it's not about the thing. It's about how you handle using the yeah. thing. You were going to say, I was going to say, well, the, the schools here, what, uh, oh, the pamphlets, two, oh, two or gosh, three years yeah. ago. Our teenage daughter came home with a pamphlet about marijuana and it was like skulls and crossbones and you're going to die. And just like she had to write a paper about how bad marijuana was. And I was just like, this is a joke. Well, this is ridiculous. What's really hard, and I'm sure you run into this, is the consistency throughout 50 states in the United States. And it seems like every state has different thoughts and laws on it. So it's like, who do you even believe? Mm-hmm. Who do you trust? And then you wonder, well, have we been lied to about everything else too? Right? Like, is everything else just a big lie? Like, how much is propaganda and how much is yeah. reality? And so it makes sure. it hard, man. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, and that's why getting to know the history mm-hmm. of prohibition, you know, cannabis prohibition in America has been such an eye opener for me. And what I realized is this, the, the cannabis plant embodies so many things that are important to me, both personally and in my practice in terms of the, the, you know, the social justice piece of it, the social equity piece of it, the civil rights piece of it, you know, the right to choose what you put into your own body. And then also too, you know, understanding the the possibilities that this plant holds for human beings generally. I mean, I tell people, you know, you, you have an endo, you know, cannabinoid system in your body. You do not have an oxycodone or a Vicodin, you know, or a Xanax system in your body. There is a reason that this works well with the, with the human body. And I think they are only just tip, you know, hitting the tip of the iceberg with this. You know, you hear a lot about THC and CBD, but there are so, I mean, there's 80 plus other cannabinoids, you know, within the plant, there's terpenes that they're starting to learn about. And some things I think you'll see coming in terms of cannabinoids, CBG, um, which is the precursor to both THC and CBD. Um, you have to harvest the plant early. Otherwise that cannabinoid dis- disappears. That's becoming a big thing. And, and just so many other possibilities, not just for cannabis, but I think plant-based medicine in general. I mean, you've seen several cities now, uh, you know, legalize psilocybin. Um, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. With, yeah. With, with magic mushrooms. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think you're seeing the possibilities for plant-based medicine, which I think are huge and, and they kind of dovetail with, you know, kind of this plant-based, you know, food that people are approaching something that's more sustainable Mm -hmm. Um, and hemp. I mean, we don't even have to talk about the THC variety. We can talk about hemp for hours and hours, the hemp Crete, you know, hemp plastic, all different kinds of textiles and all these things that are going to, that, that a hemp plant can, can provide. And their growing time is incredibly short compared to, you know, trees, of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, 
hemp, hemp fiber and, and, and hemp wood and all these different things that are going to come down the pike. And I think it makes us more sustainable. And those are the things I'm really excited about. I mean, CBD is exciting. Yeah. And, and obviously the fact that we have a medical cannabis program here in Utah is exciting, but to me, industrial hemp and the possibilities for that long term are, are, are just fascinating to me. Well, plus all the land here in Utah that people can grow grow. hemp and the money that it could bring to the state of Utah. Right. I mean, it could be great for farmers. And, oh, yeah. And I mean, it's it's kind of it seems like the most versatile plant to yeah. be able to create so many different things out of. There's thousands of uses for yeah. the, uh, you know, for the for the industrial hemp plant. And so mm-hmm. for a lot of people, I say to them, you know, if you want to get involved in the cannabis industry here in Utah and you you don't want to you know take the risk of trying to get one of these very few, you know, medical cannabis licenses, there are. Get an industrial hemp license. Be a great way to learn, Mm -hmm. you know, a great way to get involved in the industry. And then when they do open the industry up further on the THC side, you'll be well positioned to to get in. But industrial hemp, I, I tell people, do not underestimate it. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the Salt Lake Barber Company. Full disclosure, this is where I go for my uh, beard trims, my haircuts. Isaac over there does a top-notch job. Hey, the Salt Lake Barber Company is located at 10 East 800 South, right on the corner of 8th and Main. They offer haircuts, beard trims, straight razor shaves. They are truly a true community barbershop. They focus on providing the best work environment possible and allowing barbers to always provide the highest quality experience while in the chair. Hey, they do take walk-ins, but if you want a guaranteed appointment, just head on over to saltlakebarberco.com. You get to select your barber. You select your service that you want, like if you want a haircut or a beard trim. And then you get a guaranteed appointment. That way you know, hey, Saturday at 2 o'clock is when I get my haircut. Again, their website, saltlakebarberco.com. And as always, many thanks to the Salt Lake Barber Company for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Is that a pretty tough license to get the industrial hemp no, license? No, it's actually it's actually much less onerous, much less you know expensive than than the THC side. Um, the two main components are basically an FBI background check and to pay five hundred dollars. There's some other things you need with the application process, um, but and and the, and those licenses are are unlimited. You can you can cultivate, um, you can process. And then if you're going to sell your product here in the state, you have to register your products with the, with the Department of Agriculture, which I think is something that is, is vitally important, you know, in terms of the regulation is making sure that the products that people are getting have been thoroughly tested and, and vetted and do not contain anything that's, that's harmful. And I think that's what ultimately should happen with, you know, the vape crisis that's going yeah. on is, you know, Congress will hopefully deschedule at some point and it will deschedule, uh, deschedule cannabis. cannabis. Yeah. Take yeah. it off mm-hmm. of, you know, remove it from, from, you know, from the schedules federal completely. schedule yeah. one, which is virtually <laughs> the, the same as it will meth is schedule yeah. two, which yeah. is saying there's more medical value to meth. So than what you're is. saying is meth is good. <laughs> no, 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 no. Strike that. <laughs> oh, now, okay. so, so back to the industrial hemp license, would they, would, if somebody was interested in something like that would they come to you to help I, draft all that or, or is yep, that something I can I mean, def- no I can definitely help them with it I think most people choose to do that on their own um, on their own necessarily with the THC licenses those those are more likely to approach you know a, a, a lawyer especially the ones where there's a finite number of them you know whether they be the cultivation licenses they handed out previously and the pharmacy licenses that they will hand out in December those are much more competitive and so those are more more likely where someone would seek out legal counsel, but the hemp licenses, I mean, you basically apply. And as long as you meet the minimum criteria, you'll, you'll get it. The only place you can't cultivate it is in, you know, what, in a home, in whatever, you know, place would be used as a home, but otherwise, you know, it can, it can pretty well be cultivated anywhere. Now your, your bigger challenge on the hemp side, which also is on the THC side is getting a local business license. I've had some folks call me that have faced those challenges and they don't so, want to give them like in the city they're yeah, in or something cities, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. But, I, but i do know salt lake city itself has been has been really good and, and one of my clients um i just visited his his grow yesterday and he's doing well so it's pretty cool to see back to this uh, cd's question is like mm-hmm. when are we going to start seeing medical cannabis here in utah we, you, you know you were mentioning how patients are going out of state right now when mm-hmm. are we going when do you think there will actually be some facilities here that people can actually go to it get it properly get it through the proper channels any idea 
Yeah. So the so just yesterday, the uh, the the Department of Health and the Department of Purchasing posted the the RFP for the medical cannabis pharmacies, mm-hmm. the fourteen that are going to be available here in Utah. They're going to be kind of done in two phases. There'll be an initial eight, and then a secondary six of them. And the initial eight can open up. Uh, on or after March 1 of, of 2020. And then the next six, I think it's July 1. So they're going to stagger them just a little bit. So the earliest you will see an actual pharmacy dispensing cannabis in Utah will be March 1 of, of, of 2020. I do know that the cultivators, um, and this could have changed since the last I had heard, but the last I heard only a single cultivator had gotten fully licensed and is ready to put seeds in the ground. So that's, and a lot of them are having the real estate issues in terms of trying to find real estate that is, that is properly zoned, getting local, you know, business licenses and things like that. So when the legislature took it up in, in this last special session, the second special session for cannabis, they did put some things in there that kind of, you know, guided, you know, local municipalities, you know, so to speak on, on, you've got to allow this to happen because a lot of the, you know, several had, had, had maybe drugged their feet doing it or weren't interested in doing it. And so now, you know, the, the legislature said, you've got to make this, this happen. So yeah, March 1 of 2020 is probably the earliest you will see it dispensed um, in Utah, but that's assuming that there is enough product to put on shelves there's enough product to be processed, you know, that can then be put on shelves. So that's the earliest a pharmacy can can open here in Utah is, is March 1. And we can't bring it from out of state, I guess, right? No, you can right now. And, and no, no, no. I'm talking about like, like once oh, these pharmacies open, oh, right? Couldn't they just go well, you, to Nevada or something or Colorado and well, bring some of they their will stuff have, here? <laughs> until January 1 of 2021, the protections that are in place for for patients generally the same ones that are in place now will still be in place. Okay. After that point it it by then hopefully the system is up and running and people are getting it from 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 here in Utah but I think that the the challenges that they face and even getting seeds in the ground right now makes you wonder about that timeline. I know the legislature is incredibly committed to that timeline because they put that timeline out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they don't want it. They don't want to miss it. And they want, you know, that, that medication to be as available as, as, as soon as then. But I think it remains to be seen if that's going to be the the case, actually. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by host Gator. Hey, listen, guys, every small business needs a website. I've seen it firsthand right here on this podcast. A lot of the local businesses right here in Salt Lake City think that they can cut corners by just having a presence on Facebook or Instagram. They think that having a website's just going to be way too expensive. What if I told you that you were wrong? Having a website isn't expensive and actually it's going to be a lot more affordable than you might think. Every business, small or big, you need a website. You need your own piece of real estate right on the internet. So let me tell you why you should choose HostGator. First of all, I've been using them for seven years now with IamSaltLake.com and I could not be more happy with their service, with their uptime and with just everything about them. They offer a 99%, excuse me, they offer a 99.9% uptime. They have an excellent user-friendly interface via cPanel and they also offer 4,500 templates with a free website builder that alone is great. You guys, like I said, we've been using them for seven years and we could not be more happy with them. So we decided to make a special code just for listeners of this podcast. That way you can go out and get yourself a website. If you go to hostgator.com, you select everything that you want. Use the promo code podcast when you're checking out and you're going to save up to 60% And you'll be directly supporting us at this podcast, again, by using that promo code podcast at checkout. Really easy peasy, guys. Go get yourself a website and you'll thank me later. And as always, many thanks to HostGator for their support of this podcast. Let's jump back into that conversation with J.D. Lauritsen when we got to talk about being a cannabis lawyer right here in Salt Lake City. Here we go. I know we were kind of talking about this a couple minutes ago, and, and I know, I don't know how much you can really say on this, but what... Like, say, for example, I was looking to get a, a, a recommendation, for mm-hmm, you, but, mm-hmm. but, but the doctor I'm going to, he's like, no, I don't want to give you one. 
I mean, what, what would you suggest that somebody does in that case? Because I mean, because aren't they supposed to have an established practitioner? Yes, yes. So and what that's, do you do? And that's a little bit of a, of, a, of a gray area because it does say an established relationship, but it doesn't say, oh, you How have long? to have been. Yes. And so I know there are some companies cropping up that are kind of, you know, referral companies, you know, they're referring patients for a fee to a doctor that will write them, ah, you know, a, a letter. Idea, yeah. um, and so I think- my understanding is at least, you know, probably at least a few visits with a doctor, but that's the problem a lot of people are having is I hear, I read stuff, you know, with, uh, as part of the cannabis groups I'm a part of on Facebook almost every day of, Hey, I'm trying to get my letter. I went to my PCP and he or she, it's not even, it's a non-starter with them. They Mm. will not even address it. Who do I go to? And so I, in those instances, when people are looking for that kind of information, I almost always send them to groups like truce, and groups like Utah Patients Coalition, Utah Epilepsy Association, because to me, those are the groups that really have their thumb on the pulse of what doctors are are are, are recommending and, and not. And the thing that I think is difficult for those doctors that are recommending, eventually, once the program is up and running, there will be a patient cap. They will mm. be capped out. And if you do not have enough doctors recommending, you're then going to run into a patient problem um, and an access problem. And that's the, the the real problem. But there's some unique challenges that are posed by Utah's system, and I think has what made a lot of doc has what's made a lot of these medical providers reticent to do this. Ours is much more like a prescription would be in mm-hmm. terms of there's going to be dosing parameters and things like that. And and I know there's I read read a nice blog post about that issue that a, that a doctor had 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 written, and he just said this is the the real problem. You know, they face issues with their DEA licensing if they do it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, if the doctor just recommends, well, then they eventually have to go to the pharmacy and then the on-staff pharmacist at the medical cannabis pharmacy will then have to do the dosing. But they can't do that by law. So it's some of the things they tried in Utah that they thought were going to be unique um, have proved unworkable. The central mm-hmm. fill was one of them mm-hmm. that proved unworkable. And I think this whole idea of dosing parameters is going to prove unworkable as well. I know that they want to make this as much like any other kind of medicine that they can, but I'm not sure how much cannabis lends itself to exact dosing and and all of these things. I think it's good to have those discussions mm-hmm. um, and finding the right cultivars or the right strains that work for your particular you know ailment. But it's much more uh, uh, to me a substance of of uh, of experience and yeah. what works for you. And my advice, you know, always is for you know for people, and, and I think a lot of people say this, you know, start low and go slow. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and find what works for you, find the, 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 you know, the type of ingestion method that works best for you. But that's the, the, the issue that a lot of patients are facing is even getting that initial letter that would allow them to lawfully possess it. So yes, people are either going out of state or turning to the, uh, you know, the traditional market or the, the, the legacy market. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and if, you know, if you, if you use a little too much, you just take a nap or eat a little too <laughs> many Doritos, right? Take like a gallon <laughs> milk or whatever. <laughs> that's the, now there was another question from CD here and I'm not really sure what's going on here in Utah. I've been kind of, you know, obviously it's tough to keep up on every state. Right. And so he, his question is what's going on with drug related criminal records going away. I know they've talked about this in other States. I know like in California and stuff, they've, they've kind of gotten rid of, have there been talk about that here in Utah, getting rid of some of the, the old drug records, criminal records, stuff like that? So two things on that. So I think a lot of people do not realize um, because it didn't receive as much press as I was hoping it would. Mm-hmm. It was not part of the overall cannabis um, legislation, but they did pass the last session, um, the Clean Slate Act or the Clean Slate Bill that will allow for kind of automatic, supposed to allow for automatic expungement of low level crimes, including drug crimes. And that's similar to what other states are doing. But my understanding is, is it might not be so automatic, at least initially. And so what was happening in other states, for instance, in California, you know, the, they have these kind of just mass automatic expungements where this company, Code for America, had built an algorithm to identify potential people that could have their record expun- records expunged, and then they would just 
expunge all their records. And that's happened in a number of places across the country. Recently, um, Sim Gill partnered with, I believe, the Legal Defenders Association. Um, and actually, I had the privilege of, of seeing Sim get an award the other night at the Utah Minority Bar Association um, event. And the, the, the gentleman that presented Sim talked about their efforts. And Sim identified, I think, 13 or 14,000 different cases that involved about those many individuals um, that he is going to reduce the uh, reduce the penalties for, for, for all of them. And, and it's very nice to see, you know, a, a prosecutor that has the views that he does. I know he's not always going to be, you know, popular for the decisions that he makes, but at least in terms of kind of giving people a second chance and reducing the penalties that we've burdened so many people with in our criminal justice system, you know, he's got a, he's got a good view. So yes, it is happening. I would like to see much more. I had the, the incredible pleasure of, of meeting a, a gentleman by the name of Weldon Angelos the, uh, the other evening, we started following each other on social media and I got to know his story. Weldon was given a 55 year minimum mandatory sentence for the sale of, uh, of cannabis. And he supposedly, but was never in my, my understanding ever totally proven that he had a firearm at the time that the sales were made. So he got a 55 year sentence. He ended up doing 13 and, and was granted clemency. And he now is making efforts to try to free cannabis offenders Mm. through raising awareness about social justice and social equity in the industry and partnering with celebrities and different people that he's had the chance to, to get to know, but his story, the Weldon project um, that he started. And then this mission green initiative that's focused just on cannabis offenders is something that I think you're going to see more and more of, and there's some, so many incredible groups across the country that are focused on this issue. And someone said to me, um, or I read this somewhere that said, if your dispensaries are going to look like Apple stores, you need to start letting all these people out of prison and yeah. you need to start yeah. making a space in the industry for them. So social equity is actually something that's of, of big importance to me. Not only do we need to right the wrongs in terms of wiping away their criminal convictions and and those types of things or getting them out of prison, but we need to make a space within the industry for those that have been, you know, those communities that have been ravaged the most by the war on drugs. So yes, there are things going on here. Mm-hmm. I would like to see, I would like to see more. Um, and I'm hopeful that eventually we will have those kind of mass automatic expungements. I knew a guy, I talked to a guy a couple of years ago that spent, uh, spent a couple of years here in the uh, Utah prisons uh, for, for selling marijuana. And I was talking with him and he, I forgot what the exact percentage was. I want to say it was like 90, 95% that were in our prison here in Utah, just for marijuana related defenses. I mean, how much would you say like at the point of the mountain, or I guess there's another prison starts with a G Gunnison Gunnison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the one. Would you say most of the people in there are for small, like drug related offenses? Well, when it comes to, to cannabis specifically, a majority, you know, a, a, a vast majority of the arrests are for simple possession, yeah. you know, of, mm-hmm. of, of less you know, of a couple of grams. Sure. Um, those are the most common, you know, those are the most common arrests. And I think for a lot of people, once you get into the criminal justice system, it's very hard to get back out of it, especially if you're part of certain communities. And that's why, you know, it's so important that we don't just let rich entrepreneurs benefit from the cannabis industry. Um, We have to make sure that there's a place for those people that when they were doing it to support their families or to support themselves because they didn't have other opportunities. Now that it's legal, we need to make sure they have a place within the you know, within the industry and that we revive those communities that have been ravaged. And so, you know, certain states I think have taken steps. I'm really interested to see how Illinois, how their social equity program plays out. Bernie Sanders just, was it yesterday or two days ago, announced his plan to legalize cannabis if he were to become president. I think almost every one of the other Democratic candidates um, has a plan or if if they are in office right now, has already introduced something. You know, Cory Booker has, Kamala Harris has. Mayor Pete just went to a dispensary in a grow the other day, you know, Beto O'Rourke in the last, you know, debate mentioned it on stage and Andrew Yang supported him. And I just, to me, it's amazing to see 
a presidential debate talking about cannabis in a legitimate way that's not <laughs> this is the scourge of the earth we need to mm-hmm. you know stamp it out you or know? when they were like what was it back when like bill clinton was president he had to oh i didn't inhale you know it's like you had to you had to like deny like well no that, that was actually even a question i was going to ask you earlier is i mean there was a time when if you just talked about it you were automatically labeled a pothead and I mean, there was fear, I mean, mm-hmm. just to talk mm-hmm. about it. And that's what I was wondering if, if, if you've run into that, people just thinking, oh my gosh, this JD guy is just a big pothead. You know what I mean? And like, it's almost, I mean, it's a serious, I mean, let me rephrase there's, this. There's like, still a stigma. There's a stigma, but I think there's right. a lot more like people are willing to talk about it. And it's like, hey, I'll talk mm-hmm. about it. I don't smoke it. I don't use it, but I think it's great stuff. I think it helps a lot of people. I mean, have you noticed that too? The stigma changing, like it's not as fearful to talk about. Yeah. And that's something that I try to do. I mean, I, you know, I try to talk to almost every person I talk about. I try mm-hmm. to weave cannabis yeah, in man. at some point, because to me, it, it, it's an issue that, like I said, it covers so many different things. You know, mm-hmm. when I initially started, you know, to dive into this, you know, deeper than, than, you know, than, than just kind of what I had done, you know, to that point, I just started to realize like all these important issues that surround it. So yes, I have started to see that, you know, the people that you can now talk to about it, you know, in a, in a regular form yeah. and fashion is, is, is pretty incredible. And I think the stigma continues to, to go away, but there's also still so much surrounding it. And, you know, there are still, I mean, when they had, when they had some of the, uh, the, the, the safe banking stuff, you know, was, was being heard in the, the house of representatives, there were still people talking about, you know, gateway theory. And I actually, at the special session heard one of the legislatures talk about legislators talk about, you know, the gateway theory. And so, yes, there's still a lot of stigma surrounding it, but to me, it, it has gotten to a point where you're not going to put Pandora back in the box, so to Mm -hmm. speak. You know what I mean? Like to me, the tide has, has, has already risen. And if you are still an opponent of it, for all of the reasons that people have opposed it for, for, you know, since the days of Harry Anslinger, (laughs) the tide's going to break and crash on top of you. And I just think it's amazing because it's finally getting, it's just due. And it's not just like, Oh, you're a lazy stoner. You know, you're a pothead. Like now they're realizing like actually high functioning people can use cannabis and people are turning away from alcohol and turning towards cannabis and away from opioids and turning towards cannabis. And they're realizing like, Oh wow, maybe this is actually medicine for everyone, not just people with a, sum- a certain enumerated, you know, condition. What's your prediction on on federally? I mean, just just, just for fun, I'm just oh, curious. Course, no, I'm <laughs> curious. This is here. one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about because ultimately, that's the linchpin, in my opinion, oh. to cannabis becoming you know, what it, what it should be, you know, in this, in this country and, and really across the, across the globe. And there are some countries that are, that are, that are ahead of America on this. Um, you know, Mexico, I think is getting ready for, for adult use legalization. Canada, um, just Canada, full. Canada already yeah. has it. And I know they've faced their, their, their struggles, but I think that ultimately they're working in the right direction. Um, Luxembourg, I had the pleasure, I have the pleasure of knowing a woman that helped them to fully legalize. Um, and she's, she's really awesome. And I think you're going to see a lot of countries across the world do that. But, f- you know, federally, I think that's the, that's the key is to get it descheduled so it can be properly regulated. It can be properly tested to make sure that it's safe. Um, we can have some sort of uniformity to it because that's the, to me, that's the greatest, you know, the greatest challenge that it faces. So in terms of a timetable, I mean, it can't be too much longer, man, no. because we no. know too much. Yeah. People are like, come on, are it's you like stupid? The, the proof is in the pudding. It's helping people. Well, even you know? people run, like you said, people running for president now. I mean, there's, there's so much talk about, I mean, do you th- think the next president maybe? Well, I, th- I think if the next president is a Democrat, I think it probably will. And, and I, and, and, you know, Bernie proposes to do it via executive action, which I think is, well, is, I, mean, is I love Bernie, but I don't know. If and, and I'm not, I'm not, and, and I'm not sure if he's no. going to be the guy that gets in, yeah. but I think they all have some form of it. Um, you know, I think they all are proponents of it in some way, but it's really going to take Congress acting. And the big hurdle that it really has faced has been Mitch McConnell in the, in the Senate. Mitch McConnell is an, is a proponent of industrial hemp. Cause he's out of Kentucky and Kentucky is one of the big industrial hemp places, um, you know, states in America. So he's been a very much a proponent of industrial hemp, but he has been very much an opponent of THC. And so 
any cannabis bills, you know, that have gained any steam always face the trouble of the Senate. So a perfect example is the Safe Banking Act. It passed through the House of Representatives and it has not yet made it to the floor in the Senate. And there were a number of people that opposed the Safe Banking Act in the House initially, although I think they probably ended up voting for it, saying we need broader reform before we do something about just banking. Because I think they were concerned that, oh, well, once the banking issues are fixed, they'll forget about the social equity and the social justice piece. But for a number of people, they said, no, this is the first step we're going to take, and then that's going to follow. So my understanding is that the House of Representatives is going to take up the uh, the Moore Act that I think was introduced by Representative Nadler, which does deal with with outright legalization. So if I had to say, I'd say three to five years if you want to make a, if you want to put a prediction on it, but I wouldn't put it past the current president to attempt to do that to try to win the election next year. Oh, and there's been a I've number of rumors, rumors about and, that, but yeah, you know, yeah. being that he's so obsessed with money, you'd think he would be all of that, <laughs> but, but wouldn't each choke. So even if they did it on a federal level, each state would still be able to control what happens within that state. Wouldn't they? Yes. So yes. even if, even if, fed, state overrides even, federal, if even right? if federally, they're like, okay, this is not a schedule one anymore. Let's legalize it, you know, uh, 21 and over or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. couldn't the state of Utah could still say, no, we don't want it to be. Well, fully legal here. Well, you and, and I think industrial hemp has given a good example of that. So recently in the state of Indiana, Indiana's industrial hemp laws do not allow for smokable hemp flour. They make it a crime to possess it. Well, a federal judge just recently ruled that 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 was unconstitutional and really that it went against the 2018 Farm Bill. So yes, there are things that, that we would still be able to control in terms of our own laws, but you would also have to comply with with federal law as well. So you couldn't be more restrictive necessarily, you know, than the than than the federal law. It would still have to comport with, you know, the Constitution, the Commerce Clause, all the different things that are that are that are that are in play under federal law. So yes, you would still states would still have their own programs, but you also wouldn't be allowed to say, well, Congress has said that adult use is legal. We're not going to allow adult use. You know, you certainly couldn't do, you certainly couldn't do that. But yes, there would still be individual state programs. But I also think there would be some more uniform standards that you would follow on a, on a, on a federal level too. What would you tell somebody, let's say somebody's listening to the podcast right now and they're, they're getting ready to go to law school, right? But, and they want to, they want to kind of do something like you're doing, you know, focus on cannabis law, focus on, on hemp law. I mean, is there... Anything you would recommend to them or tell them? Or? Um, you know, I'm not aware of, of, of any law school programs yet that are offering courses, but I do know there are a number of major universities and I'm not sure which university I just read about, but they said that the cl- they were going to make the class available for like 20 to 30 students. And I think five or six times that many wanted to. And so oh, it's becoming, I mean, there are universities that are now going to, I think, offer undergrad. Um, there might even be some that might offer graduate programs. Um, you can go to places like um, there's, there are several different kind of training programs that have, that have sprouted up and some that have existed for years, like Oaksterdam university out in Oakland, where you can go learn, um, and, and, and different things. And so I think you are going to see a number of people graduate with degrees in cannabis specifically. So in, so in, in terms of law school, I'm not aware of anybody that, that, that are teaching classes specifically about it, but I think just getting to know, first of all, knowing the history, um, I think, you know, helping to educate yourself on the history and then helping to educate, educate yourself on what your states, you know, or the state you hope to practice in what their laws are and just getting to know and then understanding what, you know, what it is federally, because that, like I said, that's the real hurdle to, to everything yeah. is the, is the federal prohibition of it. But yeah, for people going to law school, I think find the, the groups that are in your state, you know, whether they be patient groups, whether they be industry folks. And get tied into those. I've had a chance to meet a couple of law students um, that are interested in cannabis and and they asked me, well, how do you do it? And I said, you just do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's not something that there's, there's a, no there, playbook. There's no group, you know, to, to, yeah. to, to, that's going to help you along. You know, I mean, for me, you know, when I started showing up to those events, I was the only lawyer and still in most instances, I am the only lawyer that's there. And I know there are others that are doing it, but a lot of, a lot of regional and national law firms have been a little more reticent 
because oh, yeah. of its federal status. Right. You know, if, if they're, if they're doing, you know, if they're practicing law in multiple states, you know, they're involved in interstate commerce and, and it's so it's still legal under federal law. So me being, you know, our, our law firm being based here in Utah, I felt comfortable, you know, being able to do it because it's legal under state law. So I have a question. Mm -hmm. When you close a deal with a client, how do you celebrate? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm I, can, kidding. I can tell you though. I can tell you. Take them out um, for a beer. I guess, yeah. Right? Well, I can tell you that, you know, when, you know, it was funny, I was sitting in my office a couple of weeks ago and, and a, a package got delivered to me and I wasn't expecting anything. And I got a couple of bottles of, of, of CBD oil from a, from a, from a, from a nice, you know, you know, company that I've had the, you know, the, the pleasure to meet. And I told somebody, I said, you know, you're a real cannabis lawyer when you're getting cannabis delivered to your office. So, you know, and, and, and I, and I'm actually a, you know, a huge, a huge proponent of, uh, of, of CBD. It's been, it's been great for, uh, you know, great for me. Um, and I'm, and I'm grateful that, you know, Utah is actually has one of the foremost, one of the most progressive CBD, you know, hemp laws in, in America. And we've had it since 2014, you know, with, with Charlie's law. And I've had the, you know, the pleasure of meeting some of the people that, you know, moved the needle on that initially. And so, yeah, that's, that's when I, that's when I knew, that's when I knew I was a, a real, it. I'm a real cannabis lawyer and I'm getting cannabis in my office. That's for sure. Very cool. There's yeah. a, there's a few uh, Utah Salt Lake city related questions mm-hmm. we like to ask on here. And I, I, I got to ask him, I, I want to kind of shift gears this way. I don't want to hold you up here all day. I don't want to no, take too fine. much of your time, but what's like the JD tour, man. Like we all have family and friends that come to Salt Lake, come to Utah. Is there like an area of town building? Like what, what do you like to show off? man? So I was, I was actually talking to my girlfriend about this. Um, and she and I love to go on drives. Yeah. We love to just get in the car and drive somewhere, try to find a place to have lunch in the middle and then kind of finish the drive. And a couple of the favorite ones that we take is we like to take the drive that goes up around the backside of Mount Timpanogos and comes down into Orem. Uh So you take I-80 and you get off like you're going towards Heber and then you continue on around the the, the reservoir and around the backside of uh, Mount Timpanogos and then we usually come out in in Orem. Um, Another one that we really like to do is we like to go up Ogden Canyon and then go like you're going into Huntsville, but then go across the, the mountain and come down into kind of where mountain green is. And then one that we just did a couple of weekends ago, I had never been to, to mirror Lake. So we drove up to mirror Lake and then drove through Evanston, Wyoming, um, and saw the leaves and it was, it was beautiful. So we like to, those are some things we like to do. And of course, I mean, I, I wouldn't be a good university of Utah football fan if I didn't say that I would take them to a university of Utah football game, which incidentally I'm going to one tonight. So very cool. Yeah, very yeah, cool. What yeah. would you this this might be a big question for a lawyer, especially. Mm-hmm. Is what would you change about Salt Lake or Utah if you could? I mean, I guess that's not <laughs> cannabis related. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it might be. Cannabis I mean, yeah. Related, I, mean, right? I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, if, you, know, <laughs> you know, if we could, if if we could have adult use um, legalization in the state of Utah, it would be incredible. Because I think that yes, patients are the most in need of, you know, people with certain conditions are in the most need of cannabis. I think everyone could, could, could benefit, could benefit from it. Absolutely. And I honestly think too, that, you know, you look at a state like Colorado and Colorado just recently passed the $1 billion threshold (sighs) for tax revenue. Right. And they, my understanding is they no longer request federal funding. And I know in their schools, children are given iPads and laptops and different things and their infrastructure can benefit from it. I just think that there should be a way that not only can you make it affordable for people to use, but you can also make a lot of revenue off of it that can then benefit, you know, can be then put back into the, to the communities, you mm-hmm. know, and you can help to heal the, some of the, you know, the divisiveness of the war on drugs. So that's what I would say is adult use legalization would be something that I would like to, to see come to, to Utah. And speaking of, of Colorado, just for a little bit of a side jot, I mean, has crime, it seems like crime hasn't gone up. It seems like crime has, you know, if anything, it seems like well, it eliminates the less black market, black, right? you know, it, it yeah. And, and, and the black market, yeah, but yeah. Minimalizes and, and, and the black market, I think where it, you know, or, or as I call it, you know, the traditional market or the legacy market, because I think the black market just is, is not a name I'm, you know, comfortable with um, anymore, but it, it definitely does help to, I think, push that out a little bit. And so, yeah, no, when you talk about crime, it has not gone yeah. up. They've done studies, you know, that, that show that, that in some places crime has actually decreased. Um, you know, teen usage has actually gone down in places where there's legalization. You know, I, I keep running across these the stories that tell parents are supposed to warn their children about 
you might get a THC gummy in your, you know, your trick or treat bag. And I'm just like, this is, this yeah, is right. the fear mongering. Nobody that, loves your yeah. kids that much. Yeah. Right? I was going to say, I was going to say no one's giving away their gummies. You know what I mean? But that's, that's still the problem is there's still that type of stuff that's necessarily out there. But yes, the studies are starting to show that a lot of the things that have been, you know, espoused about cannabis for years and years just simply aren't true, mm-hmm. you know? And to me, when you no longer have that same incentive because it's been, it's been necessarily legalized, you don't have the same criminal element that that follows it. You just don't. Right. What about favorite local eating spots here in Salt Lake city? We ask everybody who comes through here, you know, I'm sure you got one or two favorite places. Well, I mean, as you can tell, I definitely am an eater and, and my, my, one of my favorite all time restaurants here is, is a Mexican restaurant called El Chihuahua. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's just up the, around the corner from my, from, from my house back in the days when I, when I was an imbiber, I I definitely enjoyed their, their, their Death Star margaritas, but the food to me is, 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 is really excellent. Um, I really like that place. And then I'm also a big, big steak guy. And, you know, you could say all of the normal places, you know, you could say Ruth's Chris, you could say, you know, any of the, you know, Fleming's and all these different steakhouses. But one of my favorite steakhouses here in Utah is actually up in, in Park City and it's called Grub Steak. And they have this huge cut of prime rib um, that I get when I go up there. And the last time or maybe two times ago when I was there, I finished the whole, the whole cut of prime rib and their, uh, their, their maitre d', maitre d' came up to me and said, he was like, I, uh, he's like, this is going to sound weird. He's like, but I've been watching you eat that. And he said, not only is that the fastest that I've seen someone eat that prime rib, he said, but that's the most calm, you know, like that's the most calm demeanor I've ever seen. So I've, I've just got to, you know, basically congratulate you. So I love that place. It's great. Um, I have to so, go there. We have to go. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm totally a sucker for there. a good steak. For oh sure. man, steak. I'm, for sure. And yeah, and they've got, they've got other good stuff there too. But I've, I've told people that actually the best steak that I've ever had, I recently just had in San Antonio, Texas. And they put chili salt on it. It was a Wagyu ribeye um, with chili salt on it. And it basically tasted like a chili cheese Frito, but as a steak. And it was incredible. Mm. And I just can't. Oh, the name of the place, I think, was the Esquire. It has the longest wooden bar in in Texas. Um, And it's it was the longest wooden. There's something to be known. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, yeah. But no, I'm 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 a big I'm a big beef guy. But when it comes to to my favorite steakhouse, it's it's up there for sure. Now, isn't your law office where you're practicing law? You're right downtown, right? Yep. Two fifty seven East and two hundred. And say the name of the firm again. Christensen and Jensen. Christensen and Jensen. So people listening, they could they could track you down there yeah, hit you up. I mean, do you have a, a phone number there? Like yeah, if, if people- yeah. 801-323-5000. Um, you can also find my, my website, um, utcannabislaw.com or my Twitter handle, utcannabislaw. And yeah, those are usually good ways to, to, are, to are you on Facebook at all or not? I am personally on personally, Facebook, but not, not, but not, not professionally. Twitter is the, is the, is the, the, I guess, platform that, that I've chosen so far for my, for my practice. I've thought about doing a little bit of Instagram cause I start to take some pictures and some stuff. Um, but Twitter has been, Twitter has really? been incredible. Um, yeah. has been, has really been a good, a good resource for, for me to just to get plugged into the community. Yeah. So if any learn. listeners can benefit from you, I mean, definitely hit you up. I oh, mean, of, I'm course, sure, of course, of course. I'm happy. Sure I'm happy can, to help. Uh, maybe help out some of our listeners in, in, in cannabis or hemp related needs. It's been great to chat with you today, JD. Um, is there anything that you were hoping we would talk about that we didn't talk about? I'd like to open it up a little bit here, just so before we completely run out of the recording time, and if there was anything you wanted to promote or talk about or, or make sure to mention. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just, you know, as exciting as this is and the opportunities that it's going to, you know, that it's going to create for so many and that it's already created. I just can't stress enough that we can't forget about those that that the war on drugs has, has taken its toll on. Um, because I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't advocating for those people that have experienced the negative side of the department of justice and the negative side of prosecutors and drug laws and all of these mandatory minimum sentences, you know, and I tell the story of, 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 of Weldon Angelos, but there's so many others that are like him. And so that's what I, above all else would, would say is we need to take care of those folks. And we need to remember that this is about medical cannabis patients and it needs to benefit them and whatever I can do to help those people. And also whatever I can help 
to do to help those people that want to become a part of this industry and that want to find a way to, you know, I mean, they're almost like gold miners, you know, I mean, it's, it's a really similar type of situation and, but I want it to be done the right way too, because to me, it's not just, Hey, let's get in and make a million dollars and, 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 you know, however we can, it's, it needs to be done the right way because this plant has faced so many struggles over the years that I don't want to give the, the pundits and the opponents of it more reasons to vilify it than they already have for the last, you know, 80 or 90 years. Do you have anything you want to bring up, Chrissy, before we, um, well, I mean, obviously your final question, Chrissy well, has a final, final question, final question I mean, but I didn't know if there was like any we, other questions. I feel or... like we could talk for hours, oh, but I you know. Easily, easily <laughs> oh, for hours. And that's, that's yeah. the problem. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, we'll just have to bring you back through or, cool. or if you have any recommendations. It'd be really fun, especially cool as, to... as everything progresses to bring you back in and learn more about what's been changing in the industry yeah. and, you know, like how Utah is moving forward. For sure. But, for sure. Uh, in, but yeah, good. you want to throw your, I'm good, has a final I, question. I do have a final question mm-hmm. for you. Can you leave our listeners with a motto or piece of life advice that you live by? There's a quote by uh, Teddy Roosevelt and it's called the man in the arena. Um, and this is something that since the day that I read it um, or heard it, it really, it really struck me. And I think it's about being a part of life and not just watching life. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who either know vic- who know neither know victory nor defeat and it's just a, a something that i have have strived to live by because you have to go out and do those that watch from the sidelines and critique others to me aren't the aren't the people that push the needle mm-hmm. and as a lawyer you know especially in some of the areas i practice you know civil rights and cannabis and these areas that need advocacy for the you know being a voice for the voiceless is really really important to me and that's why i'm so grateful to be a part of the you know the 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 cannabis community and to have gotten to know these amazing amazing people that are really pushing this this industry forward and they're the reason that we have it and i couldn't be more grateful to them but to me it's about showing up and being a part of you know of your own life as opposed to just watching your life go by many thanks again to jd lordson for joining us on this episode all of the links that we mentioned in this conversation can be found with this episode show notes on our website, which can be found at imsaltlake.com slash 406, and that's for episode 406. Support for I Am Salt Lake comes from KRCL 90.9, amplifying community voices since 1979. This listener-supported music discovery station covers everything from reggae and punk rock to local grassroots activism. Listen today at 90.9 FM or online at krcl.org. And it is the first episode of the month, the first episode of November, November 2019, which means a brand new decade starts here in about a month, guys. Hopefully you're ready. But since this is the first episode of the month, this is when we give some love to our Patreon supporters. This is like our frontline people. These are the people that are like helping keep the show going right alongside of our, of our sponsors. So we just want to read this list really quick. And if you would like to become a Patreon supporter, just go to patreon.com slash I am Salt Lake. We also have the link right on our website. But uh, let's read down this list, Chrissy. We got some great supporters. We really do. Uh, We got John Miller. We got Mark Copeland, Todd Bjorkland, Tim Haran, Nicole Davison, Alex Santee, Brandon Hill, Mountain Standard Time Marketing, Will Dugdale, Brittany Hemingway, Jeff Hadfield, Eric Tomorrow, Sana, Alan Martindale, Nick Naylor, Brett A. Schmidt, Three Irons SLC, Nikki Line, Michelle Stevens Williams, Dirt in Your Skirt, Christopher A. Heiser, and Jay Chambers. What a list of awesome people there, Chrissy. Thank you, guys. Thank you for supporting us always. And as always, we'd love it if you became a Patreon supporter. It's a great way to support the show. You can go to uh, IamSaltLake.com slash Patreon. That will forward you right to Patreon.com uh, slash IamSaltLake. 
That's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget to show your support for this podcast by supporting our show sponsors, KRCL, Greenbike, Salt Lake Barber Company, and HostGator. We'll have links for all of them at our website under the notes for this episode, which you can always find at IamSaltLake.com. And remember, you can always share your favorite episodes on social media, share them with your family and friends right there, or just tell a coworker at work tomorrow. Hey, you have a great week. Make sure to get out and enjoy the city, support local whenever possible, and we'll see you on the next episode. And good night, Grammy.